The Kings are making the playoffs. The Kings are making the playoffs. Golden Knights are not making the playoffs. Golden Knights are not making the playoffs. This is the best timeline from last week, hockey-wise. I am speechless. I am overjoyed. I am glad the hockey gods saw that this is the light. How sick of my how sick of me talking about the Kings in the playoffs are my co-hosts. Well, are you more happy that the Kings made the playoffs or just like the Vegas Knights didn't make it? Um, I think the Golden Knights not making it makes me happier because I knew from the start the Golden Knights were Sorry, the the Kings were making the playoffs. If you listen to our season preview episode, yeah, boy, here was the only one who predicted that the Kings were making the playoffs. I feel vindicated. I don't know. I, I think, well, when also said he wanted to start off with the Kings, I thought he was going to say something else. But yes, you know, the Kings are making the playoffs. Um, How far they go is going to be interesting. But I, I think... Yes, even though the Kings are making the playoffs, the bigger news is obviously the Golden Knights not making it. So I feel like the Kings are being overshadowed here. The bigger news is that Dustin Brown is retiring at the end of the season. Um, Great player. Not a Hall of Famer. I'm not even going to try to argue that one. Um, Great player. Played his entire career at the Kings. Jeffrey, that means a lot to you, I know. Um... Did you retire his number, though? I think you have a celebration for him if you're the Kings just because of longevity and he was a captain. But do you retire his number? So I think that it's like a no for me, but I can see an argument to be made that you know you retire his number if you're doing it along with like Kopitar and Doughty and like Quick. That's kind of my reasoning. Like, I don't think you'd do it for him individually like if he's retiring now. But wait a few years, I can see it happening. Because, yeah, like he captained you guys to a couple of cups. But overall, his numbers weren't you know, absolutely elite. But he was there for your leadership and everything. I would actually say that... I, I actually, See, the thing with uh, freaking, you know, when they're trying to retire people, I, th- I think obviously he is going to get a celebration. I mean, he was the captain of a team that won the Stanley Cup. So I think that, you know, obviously has some tie-in. But, like, when you look at his numbers, like, they're not bad. Like, he's top 10 in career points with LA. Like, he's number one in games played. He's number six in goals scored. He's number eight in assists, and he's number seventh in points. Like, in terms of, like, standard numbers, that's not bad. And, I mean, longevity helps, but those are some pretty good numbers for one organization. And he also played his entire career with the Kings, which is like a, hey, you know, you, you've been with us all this time. It's a retired number. I can kind of see that happening. Um, Yeah, I think, obviously, it would have been nice if, he, you know, held up to production for into the end of his career. But at the same time, I think it's the longevity that really stands out, right? I think eventually being in a team long enough, you have to be good enough to be in a team long enough, you know what I mean? Well, I mean that contract really didn't help either. I think they they had an option. Like maybe earlier, like in his thirties, like if he wasn't playing so shit, I think that um 
they would have probably traded him at some point. But he was so bad that his contract was unmovable until he kind of had like that little career renaissance a couple years ago. First off, rude. Second off, everyone understood the contract was going to suck by the end of it. It was, you know, paying less now and paying more in the future, right? They're paying less when they're in their prime so they can add to it, the team, with the understanding that when the cycle ends, this would become an anchor contract, but he would get paid more than his market value. Uh, I, I guess so. The, the thing is, though... Uh... I don't know. Like when when you look at the contract and you know the first couple of seasons after he signed it, where he put up less than forty points for the first half or the first four seasons, uh, doesn't look doesn't it's not great. But you know, I I understand. You know, he he was a good player, um, for the Kings. I think you know if you ask any Kings fan like yourself, I think they're all really appreciated of Dustin Brown and what he's done for those team. And, you know, I, I feel like he should be honored. And I don't know. I, I do I, I do think he gets his sweater retired. I, I'm just trying to think, like, how which Kings sweaters, like, jersey numbers have been retired. And I, I, I feel like Marcel Dion or Luke Robitaille probably have it retired. But I feel like Dustin Brown's up there in terms of, you know, career king, you know, did a lot for the organization. Obviously, captain of the Stanley Cup wins. I, th- I think he can have his sweater I mean, his jersey number retired. So you're going to hear first. Three of us all think Dustin Brown gets his jersey retired. And with that, let's start the show proper, shall we? You're listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. And we are back. So with the playoffs, you know, just around the corner, we thought, let's not talk about the playoffs. Let's talk about the teams that aren't making the playoffs. Um, like some of the matchups are still kind of undecided. And like, I, I would hate for us to just kind of speculate about what could happen, like which matchups we could see. Like that's that's just too confusing. So we're actually pretty much set, you know, Thursday night. We already know which, you know, 16 teams are going to make it and which 16 teams aren't going to make it. So what we're going to do this episode is we're going to go through each of these non-playoff teams, starting from the bottom, work our way up, and kind of discuss, you know, what's the one thing each team needs to do to, you know, improve going into the 2022-2023 season. Do you guys follow me? Yeah. Well, I mean, this episode isn't really tuned for Olsen, I guess. Well, he had his moment with the Kings. I feel like, you know, me and you, Anson, we need to have some time to talk about the Jackets and uh, the Habs. You mean all the loser teams that no one cares about? I'm sorry. I believe that I still care for the Habs. And I I can't speak for Anson, but I'm assuming he cares for the Blue Jackets still. But why don't we start from the very bottom, uh, the Habs, because, you know, we talked too much about the Kings. So let's talk about the Habs. What's the one thing we think that they need to do to improve going into next season? Um, kind of find a home for Jeff Petrie. If you look at like where the worst, the heaviest contracts are for this team, it's Price, Weber, Gallagher, Petrie. Gallagher, I think, is in a point in his career where he can kind of be 
made like part of the next cycle at his late stage of his career, but part of the next cycle, um, Price, Weber, Drouin to a degree, we kind of know where this is going, right? Maybe not Drouin, but definitely Price and Weber, we kind of know where this is going. Um, if you look at it in straight numbers, you don't look at the player, you look at straight numbers, those are numbers that can be LTIR'd away. So not the biggest deal in the world. Jeff Petrie doesn't fit in the next cycle, makes a lot of money, um, and you can still sell him to a degree, I think, that to other teams and say, hey, you know what? He just had one off year, and he's on a really bad team. There's probably a team out there willing to take the risk on Jeff Petrie still. If he has another bad year, I think I don't know if teams are really willing to pay the pay much for him. But I think right now you can still get him at a, a an okay value and clear the books. But does trading Jeff Petrie make them a better team next season? Like like who would fill in that role that Jeff Petrie vacates if he gets traded? Well, I would assume you'd probably try to trade him for prospects or picks. Um, and knowing a team like Montreal, where they always will be at the cap ceiling, you can always try to, you know, sign some players. Like, you you know, next year you're going to come this offseason, you have a lot of money, right? I think you have – like, I, I know they're near the cap for next season technically already, but obviously a lot of money is going to go on LTIR. Um, so I think you can get a lot, right? Yeah, no, that's fair. How about you, Anson? What's the one thing Montreal can do to improve for next season? Would kind of icing a healthy team for most of the season? Can I just say that? Because from what I can tell, I don't think, I don't think, I remember, I remember seeing like a, you know, a full full uh, team for the Habs this entire season. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think that's pretty much. I, I think, obviously, if they can figure out how to get Carey Price back to where Carey Price was before, I think that's that's going to give them a monumental improvement, and like that's all they really need. Like Even if they don't trade Petrie, or they trade Petrie, I think having Carey Price back healthy and ready to play, that's all they need to you know have a better season compared to the season. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be like Olsen and just keep talking King. So let's move on to the Coyotes. What do the Coyotes need to do to improve next season? What's the one thing they need to do to improve? Um, to me, I, I honestly think that the one thing they need to do is just stay on course. Like keep letting the young guys play, keep, you know, signing veterans on prove it deals. I mean, they don't have anyone really signed going into next season. I think they maybe have like half a team. So they're going to need to make some signings. But I think, you know, make sure that their young prospects get time to play and, you know, see who's going to fit under, like, the next time they're going to be able to contend. So Arizona is a bit of a harder one. It's, for me, the question is, what now? Right? All those deals they took in to collect picks, you know, Erickson, Kessel, uh, Roussel, Ladd, you know, the only one that's still going to be on their books next year is Shane Goshbear and Andrew Ladd, right? So this chapter of this team is coming to a close. So the question is, what do they do now? 
And I think what they need to do is they need to spend. At the end of the day, I don't think they're spending that much on the team, like cash-wise. Um, so if they spend, I think they can ice a very competitive team. But that's the big question. Will they spend? And what next after now this chapter is coming to an end? No, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, hopefully they get some revenue from uh, their 5,100 seat arena but yeah like they need to figure out uh they need to make a decision on what they want to do and they also need to ice a competitive hockey team anton any thoughts i i mean i think you guys pretty much nailed it for the yotes for me but speaking of you know being undecisive the seattle kraken going from uh you know picking everyone and not getting getting picks for them to selling them back to the original teams on the deadline, like what are they going to do for next season to get better for next season? And I think you guys kind of said the same thing about the Arizona Coyotes. It's like uh, the Kraken's got to spend a bit more. They, I think they need a better, I say, like they need a better like one C kind of thing, where you can't just trade your guys back to their original teams. You gotta have you have the money. Why don't you spend it? I think that's the, that's the thing I would say to like Ron Francis. Yeah, like Seattle, they seem like they wanted to go in one direction, then they changed course, and then they're like, okay, we're going to have to go in this different direction. I think a lot of the picks they're going to make or a lot of moves they're going to make this offseason is going to be really telling. Like, are they going to just try to gather more picks again and just try to build up the prospects, or are they going to, you know, make improvements to the actual, you know, 18 skaters and two goalies that they're going to put on de-ice every single game right like i think it's gonna be a big decision and i think you know it's gonna be interesting you know what what ron francis is gonna do because you're right like like arizona seattle hasn't really spent much so it's a little bit worrisome if you know seattle we just have too high of an expectation because look what vegas did and you know seattle's nowhere near that so i think we're a little bit disappointed with seattle's first season i would ask you guys this what is Seattle's what's we're looking for? What is Seattle's hockey team? What is their philosophy? I wanna say that they're they're kind of a team made of, you know, third I don't know how to say this, but like they're not like a team to me. I feel like they're just a collection of players, right? Like when you saw Vegas, right? They kind of branded themselves as a team of misfits who came together to become a team. Seattle has just been a collection of players. And I think they need to find an identity. And like, I don't know what type of identity they want to be. I still think David Hackstall was the wrong coach for them because I don't think he's done anything to help them out. Like, uh, I don't know what Seattle is still. I, I, maybe because we haven't watched, I haven't watched them enough. Maybe that's why. But I, I just don't see them having an identity this season. And hopefully, they can come up with one next season if they want to improve. That's where I was looking for. I was looking for identity, Jeffrey. What is the identity of this team? Sorry, it it just feels like a bunch of like kind of mercenaries together, and there's no real teamwork kind of sense. It's like you don't see, like you know, for for certain teams, it's like the the aisles right it's their style is just grind and just you know win a 2-1 game 1-0 game but 
you know, Kraken's been blown out. They don't really, you know, win a lot in a sense. They, they don't blow you out in a sense, I guess. So it's like, it's hard to see what kind of identity they have, especially after seeing Vegas establish themselves. Like they embrace the role of being the underdogs and it's like, you know, we're playing with house money or Vegas. However, however far that we get the season or like that season was whatever. It's a success anyways, but Seattle, uh, sure. Maybe lofty expectations from us, you know, seeing what Vegas did, but I think even from game one, we had no idea. And they, and then by the deadline, they got rid of like half their team. Like they traded Giordano to Toronto for a second round pick. It's like, what are you doing here? Because if we don't figure this out soon, it's not going to be a good destination for free agencies. I think you guys kind of answered my opinion on this, right? Like they need to build an identity. Are they contenders? Are they rebuilders? Are they scrappy? Are they defensive? What the heck are they? That's my what they got to do this season, this offseason, sorry. All right, next up we have Dave Haxtell's former team, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Anton, what's the one thing they need to do to improve for next season? I guess would, again, I would go back to like being healthy. A healthy Carter Hart would help, but it's back-to-back seasons, and I'm very, I wouldn't say worried, but I am like, I would keep an eye on that. It's like have a good one B. I guess have a one good one B in the sense that if Carter does get injured, maybe he's overworked, and something that like something that happens, I think that would help them immensely. I don't think that would make them, you know, contenders. But you know, you're only as good as your goalie at the end of the day, in a sense. So if Carter Hart's injured and you rely heavily on Martin Jones, um. We've seen what happens when you rely heavily on Martin Jones, right? So I I think having a good backup, you know, would help them. And I mean, they have Ristolina for another five years. I don't know what to do there. So what about you guys? I think, you know, as much as, you know, Carter Hart hasn't done well, I think maybe having a Ryan Ellis for more than four games is would definitely be helpful. Uh even a Sean Couturier, who's only played 29 games this season and has been out for like most of the season, I think that played a big role in their ability to, you know, defend. And, you know, I'm, I am I feel like, yeah, I agree. Like a healthy team, like a healthy, like the defensive players, if they were healthy, I think this team could have been a lot different. and They could have done a lot better. Like, I think a lot of us had them, you know, as a bubble playoff team, not like a team that was going to finish fourth last in the league. I'm changing it up from you guys. I think there's, I don't see much of an issue with their goaltending. Yes, Carter Hart, not the most durable guy, but he pulled out a 905 league average. Um, maybe slightly below league average, but pretty close to league average. Um, kind of where you'd expect for a bubble team. Um, Martin Jones, 900, not great, but it's your backup on a bubble team. Kind of played like a bubble team goalie backup. Offense, though. They've got two players with 50 or more points, Atkinson and Konechny this year. Claude Giroux played 57 games with them, and his third in team scoring with 42 by a comfortable margin. Like, there was not a lot of scoring this year. Kevin Hayes, because he was hurt, 31 points in 47 games. 
JVR, 81 games, 37 points. Provorov, 29 points, 78 games. Like the offense just wasn't really there. Right. So I think they had slightly below league average goaltending, but the offense was way below league average. And that's an issue. Yeah. I think they're going to, I don't know how much cap space they have, but they always seem like that one team that's going to make a big splash run forward. Like, you know, the old Kevin Hayes, you know, signing him to that seven-year contract or JVR with that five times seven contract. Like, I don't know if they have much cap space left, but I, I wonder if they're going to go big fish hunting again to, you know, up their scoring. Um, speaking of, you know, scoring, uh, the, the, the Devils, you know, they made some improvements. You know, I think, like... In my opinion, they are still a little bit below average in scoring. I think they need to go out and, you know, find a winger to pair with a Jack Hughes. Like, I think Nico Heischer, yes, he's your captain. Yes, he's a former number one overall pick. But I think people believe that Hughes is probably going to be the franchise leader for this next, you know, contending generation of Devils. I don't think people think Heischer is going to be, you know, the, the, the big fish i think it's gonna be Hughes, and i think he, their goal this offseason is try to find someone to partner with him so that they can have like a one-two punch on their top line thoughts i'm fine with their offense to be honest with you um they got a really young offense right the first line is brad boquist and holtz 23 23 20 right there's a very young forward pairing that they have um Right, I think the last game, the oldest four they had was 28-year-old Jem VC, then 25-year-old Pavel Zaka, right? Very young forward core. So I'm okay with giving that group some time to kind of develop, um, getting better. The thing for me is, I think, is the defensemen. Um, they've got some good players on there right now, right? Uh, I think Ty Smith is on there. I'm going to butcher his name, Nikita Okotiak. I don't know too much about him. It's a third NHL game. Um, Kevin Balls played 15 games. I, I think the defense is slowly getting older as well, but I think having maybe an older player who's a bit more defensive that can kind of stay back and kind of be a mentor to the defensive core, but also allowing guys like Kevin Ball the opportunity to play much more offensive-minded, where I think they're more comfortable I think providing that level of stability in the background would be really nice for this team. Kind of like if they had a defensive PK Subban. So like a top six kind of guy, but not for the price of a nine million dollars. Yeah. Like the you know how PK Subban's very good. It's not very good, but it's still pretty good offensively, but the defense just really isn't there. Um, I think they need a guy whose defense is pretty good at not nine million, like you know, a million and a half or two million. And the offense just really isn't there that allows guys like Ball and Smith to kind of just do their thing. You know what I mean? I'm going to shatter all your hopes there, Alston. Kevin Ball's not an offensive defenseman. He's a six foot six defensive defenseman. So us seeing him. I've seen the slap shot. I've seen the slap shot. I know what he's capable of. I mean, to be fair, when you're six foot six, your slap shot is pretty solid, I would say, regardless if you're offensive. I've seen the slap shot. It's fine. Maybe not Kevin Ball. Maybe that's that's not a great example. But okay, maybe like a Ty Smith. Okay, gosh, 
Sorry, I just wanted to make sure our listeners know that, you know, we're not just, you know, look, look on cap friendly and just reading off random names. We're actually got stuff prepared and we actually know these players and not just naming people. I would also like to make a correction. Uh, Thomas Tatar is the oldest forward on New Jersey. He's just uh, out, uh, look, got a little bit of an illness, but he's 31. So just want to make sure we correct that. I just want to point out, I said, you know, the last game, right? He didn't play last game. In their last game, BC played at 28. But you're right. I think Ty, uh, Ty Smith, letting Ty Smith be, do his thing. Sorry to cut you off there, Jeffrey. Go on. Would also like to say that if you're on Cap Friendly right now, as you're recording here at 857, those lines were for today's game. Shh, be cool. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Chicago. Um, I think a little bit of a surprise this season. I, you know, we thought they were going to do well and they kind of start looking okay. And then they tumbled and, you know, they, they just weren't good anymore. And, you know, like what, what are we going to, what can the Blackhawks do to improve the season? Is, is there anything they can do that would make their season better next year? Well, I was just going to ask, but like, Hey, you have, you know, one more year of Taze and Kane. And then I think realistically, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's kind of like, Brinkett and you know Seth Jones because his contract's starting. Um, I think it's their team after that. So I don't know. If there's like something that you could do to you know make them a playoff uh, playoff team necessarily, especially that there's a good chance they don't have their first round pick unless they're in the top two, I believe. So I think you kind of just ride it out this year. It's there's really not much you can do. You're up against the cap. Like you, Dylan Strom wants out. That's you know the pieces aren't really falling into face uh, into a place for you guys here. Agreed. Um, I I don't see what they really need to do um, next year. I, I I just think they gotta ride it out. Like not great. Like Jonathan Taze maybe hasn't aged that well. Um, Patrick Kane I think had a pretty good year. Right, really good year, ninety-two points. Like I'm comfortable with keeping, you know, him at ten and a half. But I think the big question mark on this team is defense. Like you kind of put a lot of hopes on Seth Jones at minus thirty-eight this year. I know he scored a lot, but he's minus thirty-eight, and for a guy earning nine and a half million, you need him to play better defense than that. Um, and on top of that, I think. The second question is, you need someone to play with Seth Jones? I feel like Seth Jones has just been tossed around a lot this year with like different partners. I I, th- I guess maybe they're trying to find who to pair him up with. Like It's showing more and more to me that Seth Jones, really good offensively, but needs someone to play, like a specific player to play with him. Again, like kind of going back to... New Jersey, right? Kind of just like being more doesn't have to be very offensive, but very defensive and kind of just allows Seth Jones to do what he needs to do. I that's the next step for this team. If somehow they can get to a playoff, it's allowing Seth Jones to do what he does best. So like, you know, when Eric Carlson was on the Sens, like a Mark Mathod or like a, a Brent Burns to the uh Vlasic kind of thing. Yeah, that type of deal, right? So, right, Carlson, Burns. Burns is a great example, right? 
doesn't really have the defensive skills that commands that price tag, but the offensive skills are just that good, right? But some, like, if you get a defenseman that pairs with him well, like a Vlasic, it allows Burns to do what he does best and what he's most comfortable doing and gets him to be even more productive. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I wonder if that's, like, even harder than finding number one defenseman is finding someone to play with that number one defenseman to not overwork that person. And, you know, I think that that's, especially going into the last potential season of Kane and Taves, I wonder if Chicago is going to go for it and, you know, try to, yeah, at least make the playoffs with this team one last time and give them a good send off. But we'll, we'll see with Chicago. Uh, next team we're going to move up is to Ottawa, who, you know, I think surprised a lot of people in how competitive and hard to play against they were as a team. Like, if you look at their goal differential, I think their record is a lot worse than how they played. So what's like the like to me, like I look at this Ottawa team, maybe finding some stability in net would be good. But it's kind of like, you know, Arizona and just letting the young guys play. And, you know, I think they're still a little bit away from figuring out exactly who's going to be, you know, part of the future. But I, I think they've got... They're they're pretty much got like all most of the core down. I think maybe the back end they still need to figure out a little bit more and maybe in that, but I, I think they're they're on the right track at least. I like their forward group, like you said. Um kinda in in a sense like the Seth Jones thing where it's like I don't know who Thomas Shabbat's partner is, really. And um I get that Forgeberg was a very good goalie, but he's 29 slash 30 and Matt Murray you can't really rely on you know respectfully for a playoff team currently so it's like I think you need like a bottom like a bottom four kind of defenseman ish and a goalie but then that make Matt Murray a hell expensive backup and you know I guess to the first point I had it was like a, a partner for like Thomas Shabbat where they gel well I always thought they were always trying to like giving time to Jacob Bernard Docker to always to become his partner. That's what I always thought it was, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, yeah, I think Jeffrey you're right, it's goaltending, right? Like at the same time, you don't want to pay paying what, six point two five to your backup goalie? I think that's that's what uh Murray's earning, right? So I don't think you want to pay six point two five to your backup goalie. Um and at the same time it's what do you do when Forsberg's contract's up, right? He's signed three years on top right now, but at 2.75, that's that weird number. I don't know. It's like, is he going to become like a 1B? Like, is the money like a 1B money? Like, I don't fully understand what they're doing with goalie. I understand, like, it's kind of hard because Matt Murray's making – a lot of money <laughs> not playing so it's like that they need to figure out their goaltending and i i, I gotta agree with what Edson. the goaltending is the big question their defense i think is actually better than people give them credit to be um yeah i think the other question maybe i'd have is what's going on with colin white for a budget team like the Ottawa Sanders. He's making 4.75 and he seems to just 
not be clicking as well as he needs to. No, like I think with Colin White, he is a top six guy. You can't really put him in the bottom six. And right now he doesn't click with any of that. You know, what we talked about, like the forward core. And like he's kind of a waste to be put in the bottom six. I mean, obviously like, they found a lot of guys like Drake Batherson and, you know, Connor Brown, I think, is a top six guy on this team. And, you know, I think they need to, that's what I kind of say, like they need to kind of sort out who's going to be part of their the future core when they, you know, start contending again. And I think that holds true with determining what Colin White is. I think they've got a, quite a few prospects they're trying out to see who can be in net. And also, you know, just trying to figure out who's going to be that partner with Shabbat. Is that going to be Artem Zub? Or is that going to be Bernard Docker? Could that be Lassie Thompson? Like, I think they've they've got they've still got like a year or two to kind of figure this stuff out before they're really in trouble. Be like, okay, where are we going? But I think this like this going into next season, I think that's something that they can definitely improve on. Um, let's go to like another kind of like surprisingly not that bad of a team, Detroit. Um, they they were okay, but then they kind of fell off a little bit again. Um. I don't know what Stevie Y needs to do for this offseason. I think like there's a lot of things, but like if you were to have to pinpoint like one thing, like Olsen, what do you think, you know, Stevie Y like needs to do to make his team better going into next season? Nothing. <laughs> Just give it time. Like you've got a solid group of players here, right? You got Larkin and Vrana, Fabry to a degree, um, leading the charge, right? You've got young guys like Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider. And you've got a pretty good goalie for Nadel- as Nadelkovic in that. Just give it time. Are you concerned about the few games that they lost? They've been letting 10 goals plus? No. <laughs> as simple as that. No. Um, you're going to have stinkers. It's not, it's not the biggest deal. As long as the team bounces back. If the team... Gives up 10, goes in the locker room and like is celebrating. Yeah, obviously, not a great look, but team bounces back. It's not a big deal to me. And it's kind of like experience, right? It's like, you know, you know, we give up 10. How do we figure out in the future to not give up 10? Exactly. Yeah, I, 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 in my opinion, I don't know if Nedeljkovic, a 3.31 GA. Nadelkovic is really, you know, the solution. I think obviously with growth as a team, his numbers will be better. So I agree. I, like giving this team some time obviously is going to help. Um, yeah, I, like if there's, I think they need like another, like solid vet veteran to be on this team. Like, yes, you have the Larkin, you have the Bertuzzi, like those are guys who've been here since the beginning and, you know, they're kind of leaders of this team, but I wonder if they need like another, like someone from outside the organization brought in as a free agent, which, you know, is completely off what Stevie Y normally does. But I wonder if they need to bring in like another voice, another leader to, you know, help the young guys develop. Like, I wonder if that's the next move they need to make, like making that big free and signing, but we'll, we'll see. It's, kind of off what Stevie Y would probably never do, but who knows, maybe he'll change this offseason. Um, another Atlantic team, kind of got a string here, uh, Buffalo. Uh, 
kind of had a weird season this season, I think. I think people thought, you know, they could maybe make some improvements. Obviously, moving Jack Eichel has done a couple of things to the roster. But what do you guys think is, you know, the next, what's the most important thing they need to do to improve for next season? I think, you know, you look at the goaltending situation is not ideal long term, but you also got to be careful not to rush uh, Alston's second favorite goalie, Uko Pekka Lukonen, as well as, you know, Hauser, oh, not Hauser, sorry, um, Devin Levi. You don't want to rush them and just kind of destroy the development. And I think think it's the same situation of like Detroit where they're like I like their forward group but I don't think they're going to make the playoffs especially in such a stacked Atlantic division um their defense could use a couple a year or two just you know Owen Power he's 19 give him a year or two to develop and I think like this come upcoming year I don't think they're a playoff team but it is they have very some uh, some very promising pieces, you know. Tage Thompson, did you think he was going he was going to score thirty seven goals? Uh, no. Did you think uh, Jeff Skinner was going to score thirty three goals? No. So I think give it a couple of years, and it's going to look a bit more different. I'm actually a little surprised that given how little <laughs> goaltending help they have, I'm surprised. Maybe. It's Levi's choice. I'm surprised they haven't they didn't sign Devin Levi to give him a couple of games. Like he's played really well for Northeastern. Like, does he really have much left to prove in the NCAA? So I'm, I'm a little bit surprised he's still you know not signed to an NHL contract. But yeah, I, I think <laughs> figuring out who's in that like you can't roll out Craig Anderson again. Like he's had a great year, but you you can't do that to him, please. Like he, I feel bad for him having to be rolled out like that. I mean, I think he wants playing time, and you know, forty is the new twenty-five for him. He's done very well this year, all things considered. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, Austin, did you have any input on this? Uh, mine's actually completely different. Um, I think they need to rehab their image. I, I, I think if you look at it, it's just I don't see that team as overly attractive for free agents. At the end of the day, you can only trade so much. You can only uh, draft so well. You're going to need free agents. I think one thing this team struggles with is signing free agents. Um, maybe it's because when they do sign free agents, it's, you know, guys like Calic Post who may not necessarily meet the standard they're expecting but i think one thing they they do really struggle is that they can't attract free agents and i think they need to rehab their image it's mostly that no that's that's fair and i i it's probably not like a one season thing where they're gonna rehab their image but i I think they're on the right track at least they seem like a more fun team and like a team that might interest free agents, like in terms of being able to play with quality players, but also, you know, being able to get ice time, a la Craig Anderson. Um, Let's uh, move on to the Ducks. And I think kind of like an underrated story this season is the fact that Maxime Contois, who, you know, you know, pretty good, solid player, you know, looked like he was going to be, you know, a strong player for the Ducks, being, you know, benched or like 
in the press box for quite a few games, like not being able to find a spot on this team. And I feel like they need to figure out what they're going to do with Maxime Comtois. And like maybe another team might benefit from him and maybe he just needs, you know, a, a different, you know, new situation to be in. Agreed. Anson, any thoughts on that? On Maxime Comtois? Or are you going to be like Alston and try to come up with something completely different? Honestly, not really. I think this team is one of those it's growing. There's not you don't want to rush it. You don't want to throw you know a, a huge contract into it. Like it might fuck you over long term. You know you gotta give Terry Zegris these guys Milano like an extension eventually, right? So I don't think signing a big piece would, especially we're talking like a one. Talking about one season, sure, but we're talking about like long term. I I think they're on the right track. Just more games, more a couple more seasons. It's uh, it's a work in progress, though. So you would be comfortable doing something like what the Buffalo Sabers did with Taylor Hall, one year, eight million. You know, just like one year, big money. You'd be comfortable with that. If I'm Anaheim Ducks, yeah. Um, why not? I don't know. Just ask you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah, I yeah. All right, no, that's that's kind of fair. Let's move on to another California team, uh, San Jose Sharks. Um, honestly, I think this off season, what you need to do is you need to lock up LA King Killer, uh, Timo Meyer. I guess Vegas Golden Knight Killer as well now, Timo Meyer. I think he, I know, I know you shouldn't be handing out eight year contracts. I think San Jose knows that, but you know. I, that that's the tradition. They need to keep handing out these eight-year extensions, and I think Timo Meyer is deserving and would be, you know, if you were to give an eight-year contract to any player on this San Jose team right now, I think Timo Meyer is the guy you want to give it to. Would you give him an eight-year contract or trade him for like three first-round picks? I I don't think he's going to get well. Well, not the, yet, not three probably, but you know what I mean, like a, a, a haul. If it was up, uh, if it was presented to you, uh, I I think originally I would have said yeah, but then when you sign Hurdle to an eight year contract, I think that's very telling in the sense that okay, you guys still don't think it's time to rebuild. It's not ready to trade like guys yet. And Timo Meyer is younger than Hurdle; he's twenty five. I think when you have like. I, I think you believe that Timo Meyer can still be part of this team six years from now and when San Jose is good again. I think they they believe that Timo Meyer can still be good. Plus, you know, with the contracts they're saddled with right now, I don't think there's ever going to be a chance for them to, you know, rebuild anytime soon. So if Timo Meyer wants to stay and, you know, it's not like a huge, ridiculous number, I think you need to resign him. You know, especially given the fact that he destroys the Kings and the Golden Knights. I think, you know, you want him to at least, you know, goal scoring is what every fan base wants to see. And I think having a pure goal scorer like Timo Meyer will be perfect. Um, I think this year, the two things they got to do are figure out if they want to commit to 34-year-old James Reimer and Aiden Hill. And if so, what do you do with Kapo Kakinen? That's the first part. The second part is they got to find depth scoring from their forwards. They're blessed to have two very good offensive defensemen in Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. Um, Burns had 53 points in 80 games. Carlson had 35 and 50. But 
if you look past their top four scoring forwards, so Meyer, Hurdle, Couture, and Barbanov, you're down to Nick Benino with 25 points in 78 games. That's not supposed to cut in for your second liner. You need more than 25 points from them. So the thing for me is you got to do something there. Um, I think that's where your focus is. Maybe even before the Timo Meyer deal. Because Timo Meyer is signed for next year as well. And he's got our rights after that. Yeah, I know. That's fair. It's probably going to be a little bit difficult given how many long-term contracts they have. And they have so little money to spend on depth. But uh, yeah, no, it, it's going to be interesting what they do with San Jose. Um, I'm going to leave this next section to our good friend Anson. who I, We should also clap that he's here on the show. I don't know. We should appreciate that he's finally joined the pod again. But uh, Anson, what does Columbus need to do to improve for next season? First of all, no clapping because that's a nightmare for post. Um, I think, obviously, I say top line center, pipe dream. So I say top six. I don't think Roslovic is our top line center. And I think Cylinder, he's 18. It, I think that's a bit of a, of a reach to be like, hey, you want to play top line center? Uh, no, not really. Um, I think the rest of it, it kind of need more experience. Most of them, guys, it's like we're kind of retool slash rebuild in a sense, right? And also, I think give um, line A an extension. I think you sign him to eight years. If he takes it, you do it. He is... He's a goal-scoring machine, and I think that letting him walk or trading him for whatever you're gonna trade, I don't think, I don't think that would be like a good outlook, long term. Two questions for you. Next, a question, a statement. I'll start with the statement. Um, their sec, their second line of Chinnikov, Sillinger, and Bjorkstrand. I did not expect a minus twenty-eight, minus twenty-three, and a minus thirty-five. Holy cow! Um, and my actual question for you is. How much money are you offering Line A on an eight-year deal? I think he's going to ask for at least 10. And I think you kind of give it to him. But I, I think like anywhere between like nine and like 10 and a half. That's the like, you know, realistically. Um, especially he's only 20, what, I think he's 24. And you know what he can do. Uh, you got a full season of him. I think having Voracek here really helped, in my opinion. Granted, he didn't play a whole season, but I do think it it did help compared to previous, like last year and everything. And he said he said he likes it here, so you know we'll take that as it will. But yeah, I think between nine to ten and a half, and I think him and Yarmo have a history in a sense, like you know. So I think he will take a bit of a slight discount. Pipe dream again, but that's my thought. If he's asking for anything in double digits, I am gonna for an eight-year contract. I'm gonna say no, in my opinion. As like he he's I I, don't, I can't see him deserving anything more than ten million a year on a long-term contract. And I get that, but we have a history of you know not signing guys. So you I would say, 
sorry, yeah, go ahead. But I say overpay for a long-term thing. So you kind of, again, you rebuild your image. I think the question with Line A is how much are you will, how much of a discount are you expecting for his lack of durability, right? If he plays all 82 games, 10 million, easy without a question is a done deal. But the last couple of years have shown that he's not necessarily the most durable player. And it's then how much are you doing that? And I think to degree, Ants is actually probably closer to the number that he gets. Than I think Jeffrey is. If he signed to an eight-year deal, right? You're buying a lot of his prime. He's 24 right now. So you're buying a lot of his prime. So I think it's probably closer to 10 and a half than it is to, I guess, nine and a half, Jeffrey saying. And I think that, you know, durability and everything, but this year, um, he missed a handful of games because his dad died. He went home, everything. Like, I don't think, I don't think he would have missed as many games due to, like, just injury itself. I'd just say that. Which isn't, like, that's that's not on he can't do anything about that, right? No, no, that's fair. Yeah, like, obviously, that's not something that's going to be easy to play through. And, you know, hopefully, you know, Liney can, you know, uh, be able to, you know, I don't know. It, it, that's definitely a tough thing and something that probably most people don't consider about his season. Uh, let's move on to the Islanders. Um is the one thing that they need to do to improve this offseason is uh, tell the NHL scheduling committee to not give them a 13-game road trip now that they're, they've are they got an actual arena to play in? I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say. It was for them to improve was to just basically not start half, well, you know, the 10 games on the road. It just fucks your home morale over they didn't they never really recover from that and if i remember correctly i think anders lee was also out for a bit which was unfortunate but i don't think it's um how do you say it? it wasn't as bad as playing so many games on the road to start a season especially well also covid hit them pretty bad and that was back before the nhl was saying like hey, you can still play it doesn't matter um and then after the islanders had their COVID spell, uh, the next time a team had it, they were canceling games, so you gotta feel bad for the Islanders. I think they felt slighted by the schedule and slighted by the NHL. Maybe Lou Lamorello needs to talk to Gary Bettman this offseason, maybe host him over at his cottage and, you know, try to sweet-talk him into, you know, giving the Islanders a little bit more of a fair advantage than they got this season. Because, you know, they were, if, I think if they didn't have that opening stretch, and didn't have to deal with all that COVID issues and still playing games, I think they probably would still be in the playoff bubble at this moment. But then again, the East was kind of a little bit crazy. So I don't know. How about you, Olsen? I, I got nothing but Islanders. I think you redo the season with, with the same players next year, they're making the playoffs. Um, I think they just ran into a lot of bad luck this year. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a well-built team. And this team obviously depends on goaltending, which is good for the next few years. So I, I think you just kind of let it, let the redo happen more than anything. You know, they've got a lot of 
bad contracts coming off the books too, right? Like uh, Thomas Hickey's contracts coming off the books. I think this year, um, I don't know if it's a bad contract, but you can kind of let Green, let Zayn Chara kind of go in the sense that has a bit more money. Um, but the team is signed pretty well, right? Like they've got a lot of depth, and I think they're they're good keeping it as they are. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, the Islanders in the playoffs next season. Uh, Winnipeg. Uh, they're they're in a tough spot. I, I don't know. Is this the? I think this is the make or break it off season for them. For Kevin Chevaldeoff, he needs to be like, okay, we need to either you know fix this team so that we can make a true run for the playoffs next season. I, I think that's the one thing they need to do. They need to go for it and make all the moves that they can to make this as best, as good of a team as they can. I think the the Jets... So last year, the issue was defense, right? And they kind of really spent a lot of time and money to really improve that, bring guys Nick Schmidt and Brent Dillon. And so I think defense is fixed, right? Um, for me, I think when it comes down to it, it's you need better depth from these guys too. Like they've got a pretty strong top six. Um, you know, Connor, Dubois, Ehlers, Stastny, Wheeler. That's those last two names concern me. You know, at the end of the day, look at their age they're at. It's you don't get better at that age. You only get worse. That's what I'm saying. So ha- creating that depth so for next year, they can continue on this run. And Jeffrey's right. If they stop, if, if they don't do anything this year, just wipe the slate clean and trade everyone to start from then. It, it's, it's done. <laughs> like, I feel like the Jets were a three-line team. Like, I swear half the time they're fourth line, like five on five, maybe play like six minutes a game. Like they were just basically a three line team. Well, basically a top two and their third line kind of spells out their top two lines, some rest every once in a while, but that fourth line like barely played. And that's a really big problem when you're talking about depth. I mean, you guys are right. You guys more or less nailed it. Their defense you know, on paper, looks solid. It looks great, even. Um, the goaltending situation, I you have Hellebuck. I think he's a little overworked from the past few years, to be honest with you, but um, I think Comrie can shoulder the load a bit or have a, you know, solid backup. It's not the end of the world. You can find a pretty solid backup on the market. But... Like Allison said, like you guys said, I think they're bottom six. I think the transition from, you know, let's just say Wheeler's out for a game or two or whatever. I, th- I think there's a bit too much of a gap between your top six and your bottom six where having that one guy or two guys try and make the jump, um, it's a bit too great of a leap currently, and you kind of need to bridge that a bit. You have Perfetti, but I think this year he, w- he didn't play much, right, if I remember. So trying to bridge that gap with the right players, I think is their shovel day off's like big task for this off season. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. Um, looking at Vancouver, who surprisingly was like kind of in it 
until like the very end. I think a lot of people thought they were out of it, and then they kind of went on a little bit of a run there towards the end. But you know, not enough in the end. Um, what do you guys think they need to do to you know improve um, going into next season? I think the big question that Vancouver fans are going to have is, what are you doing with Brock Besser? His contract's up. Um, RFA. Yeah, he's an RFA. Yeah, start off. He's an RFA. But are you going to trade his rights? What do you, like? That's the question. What are you going to do with him? Because Besser gets, let's say, what, $8 million? Is that Does that sound reasonable? Um, their entire bottom six has their contract ending. <laughs> and there's a lot of UFAs. So what do you do then, right? Goaltending, I think, was questioned at one point, but Halak, I think, is not coming back. They've re-signed Spencer Martin to a pretty good deal. So I think he's the backup next year. But what are you doing with your forward core, if you end up giving Besser like eight or nine, I think he gets eight right now. Right. So what do you do then? Yeah, I think it's interesting how they're going to be able to, how they're going to share their cap amongst all their players. I think that like, they don't really have any like awful contracts, I would say, but at the same time, it's, it's like, I guess the Ekman Larson's a little bit not the greatest contract, but uh, like you look at his numbers, they weren't awful. Like he isn't like a awful player. It's just the money that's being spent on him so lot, and that's gonna cause problems when trying to sign a guy like Besser, and then that in that turn, that's gonna cause problems of trying to fill out your bottom six because, like you said, like most of them are not gonna be returning next season, so you're probably gonna have to either. Hope your prospects can step up into bomb six roles, or you're gonna to have to spend a little bit in free agency to fill out that bomb six. So it's I think it's gonna be interesting. I think they're they feel like they can compete. Like they've got like a decent team. Like they've made a run towards the end, and maybe they're gonna just try to continue that momentum into next season. I think the Boudreaux hire mid season was a bit of a was a great change. I mean, from that point on, I think had they gone had they started on that projection, I think we'd be talking differently, to be honest with you. they Do you remember how close they were to just kind of like the bottom five of the league? And, you know, they, they're they the second last team to be eliminated. And it's like they have... You can't really do much, unfortunately, with this team because so many guys are locked up kind of long-term or like big money. So you're kind of playing with Tetris or Jenga with, um, with the cap here. And um, a couple guys they have on the injuries are like Hoglander, and I think when I say Pearson, like they're kind of bottom six, they're kind of like they're kind of middling like a top nine role, right? Where it's they're they're good, but I don't think I'm not comfortable putting them in the you know scoring every other game uh, situation. So I I do think yeah, bottom six you kind of have to have a set in stone, like an identity kind of line. But I do think give a full season of Boudreaux, see what happens. Because the rest of their team, I think, looks pretty good to me. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. All right, last team, Vegas. 
what do they need to do to improve for next season? Uh, I'm going to start off. I think when you're in Vegas, you always double down. And I think you continue to manipulate the LTIR. You're, you need to go out there and find any contract out there that you know gives you that little bit of extra cap room to kind of maneuver. And then that way you can stack your team for the playoffs. I think Vegas, double down. Keep doing this. Keep manipulating the cap and see how far you can go. And if you know, maybe this season you you did it wrong. You've had the experience of, you know, not doing it fully correctly. Now you're prepared. Next season, double down and go for it again. So the expectation is I just start laughing here, right? But I'm not I'm not just gonna start laughing here. Um what do you do if you're Vegas? You're already over the cap for next year and you haven't signed any of these guys. Um, none of these guys are really LTR guys in a long, truly long term, right? Riley Smith, his contract's up. He's I don't think he can find the money for him to come back. Um, you know, the only guys on LTR right now for this team that are signed for next year are Lauren Brossard and Nolan Patrick. And I don't think either of them are really expected to be like LTR retired type of deal. Um, and if you're Vegas, what are you trading for cap for these contracts? Right? Like we kind of have idea what the prices are and then the prices are going to be inflated next for, for the golden Knights because teams will look at this cap structure and go, well, they really need us need our back our, our LTIR spots. So we're going to charge them out the wazoo for that. That's not going to be their first round this year. Maybe their first round next year. Um, but I think most teams understand the value of these younger prospects as trading chips if they can't produce. I don't see that they have a lot of great prospects that they can trade away either um, because they've been on their path right now of contending for the cup. And when you do that, you trade away all your prospects. Like, I understand that, but they're kind of stuck, to be honest with you. I think their team next year is going to be very similar to their team this year. Um, Not by choice, but like, I think an example of how desperate they are is that, did you know Zach Whitecloud has a seven-year deal starting next year? Sorry, a six-year deal starting next year at $2.75 million per? Like, they are stretching out their their term to pay less money already. And it's not a good slope you want to be on because if you keep doing this, you end up with players like Dustin Brown where they're really underperforming their contract at that at the end right here, right? So I think the question is, can they do anything? I mean, then yeah, it's, I think the only move, sorry, Jeffrey, I think the only move that they have is really just fuck with the cab. Do, you know, trade away whoever you can. And I know you, it's much easier said than done, but, Adonov was kind of more or less traded. I don't think he's going to be back next season. Smith, well, he's a UFA, so that's fine. Um, but you know those those guys, their cap that goes towards Ben Hutton and White Cloud and um, even McNabb, like all these guys get raises. So you're right. I think, but they can't do anything again, not by choice. But I think it is, uh, they're only move really i think is to clear as much cap as they can and i don't know how much they are over by maybe you could just give me a little number but 
I that's the priority. That's their only thing they can do. And I think that's their priority. I actually love the white cloud extension. I don't know why you're hating on it so much. Like, you know, signing a guy who's 25, you know, can play middle four right-handed D, you know, kind of plays all situation. You're signing him for 2.75. Like that's going to be a sweet ass deal. Like in like by year three, year four. So I, I, I love that deal. But in terms of like, I agree. Like the Donoff's probably gone. I do wonder about an Alec Martinez if he might be in a nice LTIR guy. I think you definitely inquire about a guy like Shea Weber. Uh, I think they're going they're going to go looking for some nice juicy contracts where they can uh, maybe uh, you know try to maneuver the cap. I I think that's what they're going to do. They don't have much options, right? Like like Anton and you said as well, Austin, right? Like. They don't have much options, so I think you double down and go for it. This is the uh, anti-Vegas pod currently. Also, anything you want to just tack on while we're here? Should have learned from the best. Should have learned from the kings. <laughs> Whoop. Um. So we went through all teams, there, right, Jeffrey? We've gone through all the teams. Yes, sixteen teams in just over an hour. All right. So I think we were going to have one more segment for for today but has been an over an hour long pod so we'll save it for next week but you still have my dumb question of the day and i'm going back to the classics for this one all right would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 50 duck-sized horses um wait so one horse-sized duck or one duck-sized horse? Was that the question? Yes, yes. Or no, one horse-sized duck or 50 duck-sized horses? Um, I feel like... I, I believe I have a better chance one-on-one than like a 1v50. So I'm going to go... Um, what was it? Horse-sized duck. I mean... That's kind of like a, what's it called? <laughs> Is it called a Pegasus? <laughs> I don't know, but like something that fly. I I feel like you know I'm I would fight a, a a horse horse sized duck. Yeah, that's my choice. Anton, did you just add wings to the uh, horse at some point in this conversation? Yes, that's what I was. That's what I was thinking about. What would a horse sized duck look like? Oh, a Pegasus. Yes. Is that is Pegasus like a, is that like a, is that the name of the mythical creature or is there a different name? I was thinking unicorn, but I was like that's different. Sure, yes, that's my answer. <laughs> I mean, quick Google search. Roughly, a horse is about two point four in length, a two point four meters in length. I don't really want to fight a duck that big. I feel like. I can take 50 uh, duck-sized horses better because they're much smaller. I get that there's 50 of them, but uh, I don't know if you've seen a horse in person. It's kind of big, and like, I'd rather just take 50 much smaller ones. Like The whole, like, take a few out and take a few out at once, and then like you kind of just get into a rhythm. But, like... Ducks aren't that small either, right? If I remember correctly, ducks are... They can be like a meter long. 
Kente, like full extension. I'll go. I'll go with like a geese, a Canadian geese, then. Yeah, that's well. I mean, if you're saying Canadian geese, like that horse-sized Canadian goose, that's a if that it has the temper of a Canadian goose, that's a little bit scary. But Canadian geese are also quite large and so ah, it's a difficult. I I feel like I could one on one. I think I have a better chance than a one v fifty. That's how, that's my decision. I'm that's my rationale. I'll go with the nice horse-sized duck or goose or whatever you want to go with. I'll just take the opposite. What do you? What about you also? Oh, easy. I take the horse-sized duck. The thing with the horse is that you're scared that it's going to kick you from behind. That's the big thing with the horse. Duck can't do that. It's only got two legs. Easy. I was going to say something about... I can't remember. Because I think horses have eyes on their sides too. So... And ducks, I think eyes, so they have blind spots, I'm pretty sure. So I feel like you can definitely, like, you know, out, like, even if you've got a horse sized duck, they've got, like, blind spots where you can, you know, knock them out when you're doing your fight. I, I think there's a, there's a chance. With 50, they're, they're covering too much uh, vision. You know, I think it's, it's too much, too much. I can't deal with 50. Cool. And with that, final thoughts, Anson, quick. Well, I think this is fun. I think the playoffs can be a blast this year. I think I don't know if you saw it, but like you know, there's a stat of all eight teams in the Eastern Conference are first time in history. I think are over 100 points. Uh, this is going to be a powerhouse. It's going to be a, a Thunderdome. It's going to be a slugfest, and I'm pretty excited to see that. Uh, Jeffrey, ah, uh, for me, I, I I'm excited. They're really like coming right around the corner it's literally monday so i'm quite excited like I, normally there's that nice like grace period between the season ending and the playoffs but it, it's starting right away and you know oh it's gonna be it's gonna be some fun nhl playoff hockey i'm ready to watch it uh for free and shoot for free on my phone and watch it on cbc.ca or cbc sports uh i guess final thoughts me kings winning the cup book it done See you guys next week. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bag Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.